Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset. It's Sam Bruce back in the chair again, joined by Christy Doran to review the third and final Bledisloe test between the All Blacks and the Wallabies, of course, won by New Zealand to complete the 3-0 series sweep over there in Perth on Sunday afternoon. Um, Christy, I guess we can just start by saying just simply more of the same from the Wallabies. Rinse and repeat, baby. Rinse and repeat. But uh, this, this felt a little bit more frustrating than the past couple of tests. Um, the past couple of defeats to New Zealand across the ditch, uh, maybe that's just because it's a home ground advantage. Maybe the fact that it was a daytime test. Um, maybe it was the fact that they'd competed really well in that first half at Eden Park. And yes, the wheels had fallen off, but perhaps we just saw oh, they might be able to, to um, you know, if they can bring 40 to 60 minutes of really top-class rugby, they can be in with this. But right from the, the outset, things went, went awry. You know, there was line-outs that were, were fumbled. There was a scrum penalty. There's a Bowden Parrot three points, another three. And then all of a sudden it's 13-0 and you're thinking, geez, okay, when are the Wallabies going to have a good start to a test? But then in addition to that, you, you see some of the extraordinary things that you see in sometimes in rugby test matches where you see a, a big incident, a controversial incident like a card and this time a red card and then a player fails to find touch. And once again, um, the Wallabies unable to seize the moment to, to, to take the game by the, the scruff of its neck and, and announce themselves. And that's the frustrating element. that There's been so many chances throughout this, this series but not once have they really been able to take it. And maybe that's just a, they're lacking some experience, some maturity, a, a real winning mouse and ability. But we, we've seen this and it, and it is frustrating, isn't it, Sam? 100%, Christy. And I think you, um, when you look for a play, as you mentioned there, to sum up the Wallabies' first half performance, it was Tom Banks missing that touch. Um, here you have uh, the decision on, on Geordie Barrett, which we'll, we'll come to a little bit later. Penalty, the perfect opportunity to apply some pressure, get on the board after that horrible um, missed penalty from Noah Lolosio earlier in the match. Um, it's just a simple execution of a simple skill, really, that, that Tom Banks has done you know, pretty well throughout Super Rugby. And I think is actually part of the, him being in the team is his accuracy to, or his ability to peel off as many metres as he can in these kicks for touch, and he kicks it dead. And then next thing you know, um, a few minutes later, the All Blacks are back up field with the opportunity to to strike before half time, just as they did there in the first test in in Auckland a few weeks ago, and they and they absolutely do it. Um, the breakdown to me, I put this question to Dave Rennie at the, in the Zoom press conference after the game, is that can he pinpoint anything around the breakdown? I, I think it's a, a number of things. It's not having enough big bodies there to to actually bend that line, not running with enough authority. Um, they were getting caught behind the game line by that All Blacks defensive line, which of course makes it that much easier for the, the ABs to get on the ball as they did so many times and, and earn the reward from, from David Murphy. Uh, guys missing that first initial clean out, um, that initial hit to, to drive those All Blacks fetches off the ball. And I mean, these are just things that we, we keep talking about over the last month and, and back even into France as well, that second test in particular down there in Melbourne that, these guys, they just keep making the same mistakes. And you mentioned the line out there. I thought it was better on Sunday, but imagine being able to win the first line out of a game just consistently, just to set the tone and and get some confidence from that around your set piece. Um, 
these little things that just, unless there's going to be some change, you're just never going to win big games at Test Rugby. Sam, I've got a question for you. We were both part of the post-match press conference, which was held on Zoom, Zoom, the weird age that it is in 2021. But Dave Rennie, without... Um, it, it was an odd kind of presser because, yes, there were some positives. Yes, he was trying to, to keep optimistic about things. But at the same time, he didn't particularly come down uh, hard or scathing on any of the moments or the or his players, which you can understand to an extent. They've just played three matches against the All Blacks. Good luck any national team beating them. Um, the British and Irish Lions came close when they had won all series in, in 2017, but they probably should have lost that too. Um that being the, the Lions, is there, is there, you know, him defending some of the players, defending the direction that they're going, can you cop that? Can Australian rugby fans cop it? I can cop that for this year, Christy, uh, but beyond this year, no longer. These, these guys that are coming through, I think we can all see that there's talent there, yet the mistakes that they're making are just far too, you know, uh, regular at this point um, and the simple nature of them, uh, throughout these test matches in, in 2021. Um, the grace period finishes at the end of the year, no doubt about that. Um, what I was surprised about in the press mat, in the post-match press conference, rather, was how positive I thought Dave was. I thought that first half in particular was by far and away their worst of the Bledisloe series. I thought they were utterly dreadful Australia in that first what, half. Why is that, Sam? Why? For the things we just mentioned, mate, the, the, the breakdown number one is at the top of the list. To get picked off... I think it was probably at least three or four times and penalties. Um, there was one even straight after halftime where Ethan Blackadder came on and he just simply reached over and picked up the ball. And there was three Wallabies standing there just looking at him. And it was just unfathomable. Um, it just the frustrations of it. And maybe you're right. There is, you know, it is further weighted by the fact that it was on home soil and afternoon, a big crowd. And we'd all had a bit of the, uh, the off-field build-up adding to the, you know, the, I guess the narrative, if you like, and and that heightens your um your reaction a bit. Maybe I'm prepared to cop that, but well, so am I. I, I triggered a, a a tweet which which has rocked the boat a little bit. We can maybe talk about that later on. But mate, yeah, I, I just think it was from where they'd been, particularly in patches during those first two tests. The All Blacks weren't ever seriously under any scoreboard pressure in in Perth on Sunday. I mean, Falafinga scores after time. After halftime, sorry, after, ironically, the All Blacks have acted 15 men. Um, you could talk about how the Wallabies have now had 30 minutes um, up a player and have finished down 12-0 on the wrong side, despite having the one-man advantage. So, look, it's, it, at some point, you've just got to say it's not good enough, all right? And Sunday was not good enough. Um, they've got opportunities to, to write that for the rest of the year. And, and like I say, I, I'm personally prepared to cop this these growing pains, if you like, for the rest of this year. But the patience is fast running out. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting one because I, going back to the tweet, I, I, I wrote that, yes, um, after an intercept from Matt Phillip that, you know, this is taking a piss. Not, not so much Matt Phillip here, but the entire Wallabies who have thrown four intercepts now, virtually similar sorts of plays out the back, which is it? Yeah, five is it? Five with TJ's one. I mean, that was yeah, a great just five, individual. That was individual brilliance and probably the best try of the year. Good luck trying to beat that, but it, it's just not good enough. And, and then I wrote, 
uh, and it probably should have been a, a separate tweet that I don't think, you know, Matt Phillip is full of heart and people think that he had a great year last year. I thought he had a right year. Um, he was brought back because Dave Rennie thought he had a very good year. Um, and, uh, but I don't think he is a top-notch international player. And I, and I still stand by that when you think about the couple of players that are overseas in Australia. But you, you compare it to guys like Brody Retallick, Sam Whitelock, guys who hardly ever do anything wrong, but then they command test matches. The Wallabies don't have a, a, a second rower who commands a test match. But um, someone like a Darcy Swain, you can see that this guy's young, 21, 22, 23. He's, he's going he's gonna to get better. He's physically growing into his body, but he's already doing some, some great physical attributes, which good, strong test match second rollers do possess. I don't think Matt Phillip has that at the moment and maybe won't ever in his arsenal as a 27-year-old. He's generally good at the line-out, albeit he did lose that first one of the match in just the second minute, which sets the tone. Um, he, he had two intercepts there. The, the first one in the first half, which was an audacious uh, offload, which was unnecessary, but it, it played into a hands of a, we're going to try to beat the All Blacks at how the All Blacks love to play, which is counter-attacking rugby, rugby which has the best uh, attacking backs in the in the world. And these guys just pick the Wallabies off. You, you think about the... Um, the brilliance of Rico Ioani in the first half, who, by the way, is uh, he's a shadow of himself when he's at outside centre. He is an out-and-out winger who just, uh, when he when he burst onto the scene, he was world rugby um, uh, rookie. Rookie there, yep. Which came off him playing on the wing and just blitzing people. And he's he's back to that form. Um, and he's and, and it's Geordie Barrett that's taken a, a box kick, I think, from, from Tate McDermott. And he's taken it well. There's three Wallabies that crowd to, to try to tackle Barrett. At the same time, he's offloaded to Rico Iwani, who makes a 40-metre break downfield. Um, and, 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 and that was just, just clinical New Zealand rugby, which added to the tone of the looseness of the defence. Um, there's going to have to be a couple of changes um, to, to this side going forward. I'm curious to see which ones they are. Um, I think Noah Lolosia needs to be nurtured. He's 21. He's another guy who's got so much growth ahead of him. But when you've got a young halfback, a young 5'8", uh, a fullback who lacks confidence on the international stage, you probably do need to find someone who's got that experience, that now and the ability that, and the leadership. And, and that's what James O'Connor brings. Um, he's obviously been missing for three months and that's the big decision Dave Rennie's going to have to take is, is he fit enough and good enough to come straight away back and do what maybe Samu Karevi did the other, like on Sunday and have a, and have a real cracker. Um, I think the combinations could help uh, allow for O'Connor to come back. That if you've got maybe even a Harry Wilson that comes back in at eight, a Tate McDermott at nine, a Hunter Paisami perhaps at 13 or 12 with Samu Karevi there, that's a real strong Queensland spine that maybe allows for O'Connor to come back and just give the Wallabies a little bit of poise. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I, I think Noah, he's now played six tests for the year and and as you say, nurturing is, is a good word. Um, give him a week off. Give him a couple of weeks off just to reset. And 
you know, he's playing in the front line. It's it's a physical game at the top level. We know that. The body's probably taking a little bit of a hit. Um, and potentially, you know, even if James O'Connor isn't deemed fit or indeed match fit, um, I'd be tempted to give Reese Hodge a run as well. We saw what he could do in a very just kind of um, basic um, approach last year in Brisbane. And maybe that's what the Wallabies need for a couple of weeks against South Africa. Uh, came on on Sunday afternoon, straightened things up, took the ball to the line, threw some nice short passes. I know things, you know, you've got to take everything with a grain of salt in terms of replacements coming on and and being able to change the, the flow of the game, if you like, late on. Um, but he certainly looks sharp. Um, perhaps it's time for him. I'd, if James O'Connor isn't fit, that would be the play that I'd be going with. I'd be giving Reese Hodge a run at, at 10. It seems like, though, um, it, it almost would be a bit of an admission that the Wallabies can't play how Dave Rennie wants to play if they were to turn to Reese Hodge, do you think? Because they have been hesitant to, to play him there. And, yes, he had a, a long injury at the back end of Super Rugby, which saw him miss what, seven, eight weeks, nine weeks. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. Um, but I, I think, you know, you can also change your game for oppositions. You can you, you don't have to be tied to playing the same way against everyone in the world week to week. Now, potentially the, the Wallabies have been shown that they can't play a similar game to the All Blacks to beat the All Blacks. Do they have to have a, a change of thought there and, and play more like a an England or a South Africa? That creates a problem because we don't have the big forwards that they do um, and the depth there. Um but there's no shame in, in changing the way you play if you think there might be a better result by playing in a different fashion. Um, perhaps the other option is to give Reese Hodge a, a go at fullback as well and just have that, you know, that bigger boot in your team. Um, you know, Aussie fans will get frustrated with the amount of box kicking and, and point to the, the play there that you mentioned of, of Rico Ioani bringing the ball back and making a 40-metre run. Well, why did the Wallabies kick that? To begin with, they had to kick it because they were going nowhere. They were going laterally, um, not being able to break through that All Blacks defensive line and leaving themselves open to getting picked off at the breakdown. So that's well, once creates- again, it was a terrible kick chase, though, wasn't it? And 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 uh, you know the, the reason why there was the, the hole was there was that Matt Phillip and Anil Alatoa had both joined to extend that that uh, the the the. What, what do they actually call it now with the box? The, the, the caterpillar kind of... Yep. Blockers, I guess. Yes. Yeah, so those two were slow getting into the positions where they should have been. And you saw Valentini and Hooper both go towards the ball catcher, uh, Geordie Barrett, who, thanks very much, will we'll get Rico Yani who's running off on the right. And, yeah. and they're the small things that we saw at Eden Park a year ago when James O'Connor was criticised for his kicking game was just a terrible kick chase. And we saw Caleb Clark carve up the Wallabies. And it was a similar display yesterday with, with Rico Ioani. A lot of these things come down to the Wallabies just being in better positions. And, and we see that when they, when, when they turn over the ball, um, often in the attacking uh, half, where the New Zealanders have just been able to go coast to coast and score tries. And, and, and the Wallabies have hardly been able to to put a, a hand on and on anyone. Yeah, I, I think just incredibly disappointing, as we mentioned there. I was surprised to see how how positive Dave Rennie was. And maybe behind closed doors, he, he tore them a new one. Who knows? Um, only if you were outside the sheds there would you have heard that. Um, I think he understands he's he can't come out and, and give it to this this young, you know, squad that he's got and, and just destroy their confidence completely. But um, 
yeah, it was surprising how the, how many positives I guess he found in the, the performance compared to what I had written down on my notes and, and match coverage for ESPN. Um, Christy, let's briefly touch on Geordie Barrett's red card. Um, now, I guess the measure of, uh, of a, an incident like this quite often is, is social media and, and just if it skews one way um, and doing some digging around, I, I seem to find this, this was... 50-50 down the middle between a red and a yellow, which is why I love the presence of the 20-minute red card. Absolutely. And, and that's exactly what Dave Rennie spoke about post-match, was the fact that if, if that had been a red card, the All Blacks would have been down to 14 men, usually for what, what would have been 20, uh, about 52 minutes it would have been. So um, maths, you, you two maths just helping me out there. But... Um, it seemed, yeah, I thought initially it's a yellow card. And, and you and I were both there at the Sydney Football Stadium when uh, Nabura um, was was red carded from the Highlanders, which, funnily enough, snapped a 40-match losing streak from Australian <laughs> rugby against New Zealand opposition. And, and Amazing how these incidents tie in with other things, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But um, it, it, it seemed like a yellow card to me because the difference was Nabura's was a real flying kick. Yeah. Whereas it kind of seemed like a poke to me from Geordie Barrett. He just he just hung it out there. Yeah, it was it was stupid and and a bit of a brain explosion, I think. But there were, as Dave Rennie said, it was there was no malice in it. So the great thing is, yes, it's a it's a 20 minutes that they go down to. I, I suppose from a the actual game perspective, it was probably fair that the All Blacks don't go on to get absolutely punished and, and lose that match. Um, what it really did show, though, is how poor the Wallabies' decision-making is, the fact that they didn't score a point during that time. Absolutely. And I've just written a piece that will be on ESPN.com.au shortly and, and through the week um, this week. Uh, the big one that stood out for me, and do yourselves a favour, if you want to go and confuse yourself, let alone spare a moment for the officials is to is to break down and, and read the uh, World Rugby's uh, high tackle or high contact foul play framework and consideration process. And my goodness, it's 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 really quite something. And you can see why, absolutely why Damon Murphy and his officials came to that red card decision. On the flip side, there are things in there like low force versus high force in terms of, you know, other factors to consider. Now, that was certainly a, a low force. As we mentioned there, he didn't, you know, thrust his his leg out like quite like Nabura did and was looking straight at Cam Clark on that occasion. It was it was clumsy, yes. Do you deserve a red card for, for a clumsy challenge, particularly when, you know, it really didn't, I think, hurt Marika that much. Um, wasn't intentional. I thought yellow card was the right call, but you could absolutely understand when you go and you read through this framework as to how they would get there or at least interpret it in a way to get a red card. So that's why I like the 20-minute the red, red card. Yeah, and, and it's and it's bang on and it's a great, I think World Rugby should be applauded for those sorts of things. Whether or not you're going to see more and more red cards shown as a result, that'll be interesting. Um on the on the on the lack of force or you know, what happens if that pokes and, and that cops Marie in the eye. That's that's the other thing, yeah. And and you go, wow, like that black guy becomes blind. Uh, and that's a genuine possibility in those sorts of instances. So I don't think we can now completely downplay it. Um, it's a great thing that Marika wasn't hurt, but th this falls back on the uh, on the on the 
on the conversation that oh, we, we should be measuring on whether or not a player is hurt or not. And we know with concussions that sometimes people are concussed and knocked out and other times they're just concussed and you get the knock-on experiences days later and, later on. and years later. So we've got to remember that. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, someone I saw on going back to social media again, that the presence of a, an orange card, does that actually need to be there? I guess to delineate then again between having your red card, your straight red card, which stays in the game for things like punching, rucking, uh, swinging arm, high tackles, shoulder charge like Scott Barrett's was two years ago, which are absolutely deliberate acts. Um, and do you bring in an orange card that actually, I guess, effectively replaces the 20-minute uh, law trial and has its own card? Or is that just further complicate the process and we end up with cards galore? Um, I, I don't honestly think we're going to see um, the 20-minute red card trial ever adopted um, globally, I think there's clear resistance to it up north, which is why it isn't in play along with the other variations and is only in play during the rugby championship because of Sanzar's request and, and lobbying. Um, there's a real split there between, I think, the Sanzar nations and, and those up north. So uh, that, anyway. I, I think yesterday we saw the perfect example of why a red card, a 20-minute red card can be uh, effective. But yes, it's it doesn't seem like it will get support overnight anyway. Before we uh, look at some Wallabies pass marks for the end of the year, mate, I wanted to touch quickly on Akira Yuani. Um, just absolutely fantastic, I think, all series. But yesterday was the best game I think I've seen him play, Super Rugby or Test level. Phenomenal. He, he was brilliant. And we've all seen that this guy's got so much potential about him. Um, he's always been a big, abrasive kind of guy, but there's been questions around his attitude and, and, and other things. Um, we saw him physically dominate a game. Uh, Hartley had a bad carry. And, and when you think about play rates, now I, everyone hates doing play rates and it doesn't, it doesn't help um, a journal and a relationship, but it doesn't necessarily reflect well on a player either, particularly in this social media age where players, unfortunately, are often sent, athletes across the world are unfortunately sent terrible messages. But... When you compare someone like a Lockie Swinton to an Akira Yuani, now, Lockie, I don't think, had a bad game. He played okay. He was effective at the line-out, um, showed at times physicality. But Akira dominated the game in the exact same position, and he was pretty much faultless. Now, you know, he might get an, a 9 or a 10 because he was so brilliant. Now, Lockie wasn't that bad but he was just quieter and he didn't have the same impact on that particular player. So how do you judge a player and how they go? Well, you know, Lockie, I think I, I might've given him a six because I, I think he was all right, you know, but, but Akira was, was sensational and he was the best forward on the, on the field. Yeah. It's as close to a, I think a perfect 10 gamer from a back row. You're going to get um, just that when he sat down at the touchline there a couple of times, um, Shook off Korobini, wore the heat of Korobini, kind of fell into the tackle and then palmed off Igatau as well. And, and it's just got great skills, which, you, as you mentioned, we've known he has always had. And it was interesting listening to Artie Sevilla um, talking about, you know, the, the changes that he'd made off the field um, in the last couple of years or certainly the last 12 months around. I think it's a big thing like attitude and and doing the little 1% as a, as a difference between being a, a talented super rugby player and a you know, a first choice all black. Um, so phenomenal game from, from Akira. 
And that's what you want to see from guys like Rob Dalatini, Lockie Swinton, uh, Harry Wilson, Issy Nasirani, is, is a back rower, really command the game, take charge, and then allow that to be the foundation for their development because we know that these guys are capable of doing it at super rugby level. Rob Valentini did it pretty much every game, including against New Zealand opposition. But really having the confidence to go out there and express yourself, that's a different thing. And we're seeing at the moment those New Zealanders do it and the Wallabies not. What I really loved was the fact that both Iwani brothers did it. You know, they, they were the two, I thought. Bowden Barrett had a supremely good 20 minutes, opening 20 minutes, which set was the catalyst for their for their and the foundation of their great game. But the Iwani brothers, their entire 80-minute performances were, I thought, the two best players on the field. With Tate McDermott, probably um, a third for the Wallabies. Yeah, uh, going to be great to watch um, all those boys continue through the rest of the rugby championship. Uh, Christy, let's finish up today with some some Wallabies, I guess, pass marks for the remainder of 2021. Uh, two games against the box in the next two weeks, followed by two games against Los Pumas. And then potentially, it's not completely greenlit at the moment, but Dave Rennie said yesterday, probably playing Japan on the way up to... Europe, where they will then face uh, England, Wales and Scotland to finish the year. So certainly seven games, maybe eight. Um, what is a pass mark from here? It's, it's hard to see them winning more than four games. If they were to do that, I think they would be pretty happy with themselves. I, I still don't think you can completely write them off against South Africa. And they're coming here with virtually a full-strength squad. I think it's only... Simon, the, the massive hulking presence of the second rower who's out with still his wrist or burn injuries from a, a fire pit incident gone wrong. Watched and looked that one up. Um, but also Peter Steph to toy the 2019 World Rugby Player of the Year. They're really the two players that are missing from South Africa. Um, but, but they don't have the same, uh, the Wallabies don't fear them and, and have the same mental scarring, I don't think, that they do to the All Blacks against them. You know, the Wallabies haven't lost to South Africa since 2013 in Australia. Those sorts of things, like the whole Brisbane Suncourt fortress, somehow, we, like, somehow actually, it, it probably means a fair bit. I don't know why, but um, I think they will go quite well against Argentina, uh, even though they're a physical side. I think they would have learned quite a few lessons from last year. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but if they could get, you know, I think I think five wins would be would be an outstanding. Four, four wins would be pretty happy. If they get anything below four, I think they would be disappointed with. I think four wins is a pass from eight games. Yeah, I agree. I think four is the pass score, no doubt. I think um, two games against Argentina, as you mentioned, they will have learned some things from last year. And there are only a couple of plays, a couple of final passes away from from probably winning both of those games in in uh, against Argentina last year. Um, South Africa, as you say, they, they present a totally different challenge to what the All Blacks do. And, and the big concern for me against them will be that inability to just fracture that defensive line. And and how the Wallabies then, you know, counteract that? Um, do they kick more? Well, if they're going to, they've got to kick better. And the chase has got to be, you know, much better than it was on Sunday against the All Blacks. Um, you potentially get the game against Japan. You'd hope that they'd win that and, and win that comfortably. And then um, certainly England at Twickenham, where they've struggled really, really badly in 
basically the best part of the last decade. Um, and then certainly uh, Wales, they, they no longer have that um, that great record against Wales after losing at the, the World Cup. And Scotland are a team, I think, who are, who are on the up. So, yeah, four, four's the pass mark. You get five and, and that suddenly becomes, I guess, a you know, an eight and seven season potentially uh, when you go back to eight and six. Um, what are we on? Two wins now. Sorry. So, so two, four more wins would get them to, to six and then um, five would be that seven and probably it'd be a seven and eight season, which, you know, in year two with a young squad, you'd, you'd probably say that that's fair enough. But um, yeah, it's, it's not going to be easy. And I, I know they won't be taking certainly Argentina for granted, nor those teams up north. Um, but the big challenge is South Africa straight up. Yeah, and one thing I'm interested about this is no Rassi Erasmus. We're, we're, we're going to await a decision from World Rugby around his massive rant that he delivered on. And then if you still got time, a spare hour, and you want to put yourself through. <laughs> they were in lockdown. Yeah, everyone's got a spare hour. Look, look it up. Uh, fascinating viewing. But he's not come down to Australia for it. He's not toured. And, and he's been the real um, sounding board for people like Sia Khaleesi. But he's also, you know, you've got to tip your hat to him. The feats of South Africa under Rassi Erasmus have been simply incredible. And right throughout the Lions series, he was with them. He was with them at the World Cup. And he was with them when he said, I'll resign as Springboks coach unless we beat New Zealand in New Zealand. I mean, the most extraordinary comment I think I've ever heard from a, from a coach to put his job on the line in what has been a near impossible task for any any side. So not having him there with this Springbok side is a huge thing. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they go. But I'm excited because what we've seen in Southern Hemisphere rugby is these, these powers, New Zealand particularly being a power, and, and Australia and Argentina desperately need South Africa and without them, it's like you've you've lost a child. I think um, it's it's going to be hugely interesting, including what is going to be a hundredth test between New Zealand and South Africa later later on this month. Yeah, great series uh, to come of games in the rugby championship uh, Sunday coming up this week in round three, and then three consecutive Saturdays to finish. So we go Gold Coast, Brisbane, Townsville, and back to the Gold Coast to wrap it up. And of course, looking like very much like those final two games between. South Africa and New Zealand uh, will decide the championship. Christy, uh, great to have you back, mate, uh, on again for the wrap-up pod of, of Bledisloe 3. Um, follow Christy's work, of course, at Fox Sports and on the 15. And, uh, mate, we'll talk again after uh, Springboks test number one.